Hello and welcome to our Laughing Place podcast. We are doing an expo preview. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this. There's this D23 expo that's happening in Anaheim next week. Um, LaughingPlace.com will be providing full coverage. Also, there's a booth. Kyle, you want to talk a little bit about our booth? Yeah, we're going to have a booth at the, the D23 Expo. We are in the Emporium section. I believe it's booth number 113E. Uh, if you Google, or not Google, if you go into the D23 app and search for Laughing Place, it'll show you a little map of where we are. But we'll have plenty of books for sale from myself and Bill, who's, you know, I've known Bill for years and I still don't actually know how to say his last name, but it's like Gosa. Oh, I know. Yeah, I, I, um, I keep I keep I keep typing it the wrong way because in my head it's pronounced differently than it's spelled. Yeah, probably means I'm wrong. But we'll have his book there, Extra Magic Days, um, and we'll have Aaron Wallace's book, and we'll have Attractions magazines, and I believe books by and appearances by Jeff Barnes. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so it it should yeah, be a party. He put, he put it on he put it on his Facebook and he got like a hundred likes. Well, it's official so. then. Uh, yeah, yeah, but we'll also have some giveaways. You want to follow our Twitter because um, Fanboy ha- gets a bunch of random stuff from different places. And so we're going to try to give it away over the course of the weekend in various ways. So keep an eye on our Twitter at laughing underscore place. Uh, we might do some trivia giveaways and uh, you can go home with some probably mm-hmm. Blu-rays and assorted crap. So this is our countdown to D23 Expo, uh, which is presented by our friends by Mouse Fan Travel episode. Um, so for those sort of uninitiated, Expo, it takes place at the Anaheim Convention Center, or as us in the know like to call it, the ACC. Hey, speaking of which, did anyone see the trailer for the new Picard show coming to CBS All Access? I did. Then did you see the Anaheim Convention Center? And yes. <laughs> that, so, so I was sitting next to someone uh, who also has a strong connection to D23. Uh, at comic-con when they showed that and we're like oh my gosh like we like we're like this is taking us completely out of the element who knew anaheim was the future um but uh and it uh, currently it takes place over three days friday saturday sunday uh the there's a show floor with exhibits from all over the walt disney company from national geographic parks studios animation so on and so forth an exhibit from the walt disney archives then there's a a bunch of different stages. There's Hall D23, which is their big ticket stage. The Anaheim Convention Center Arena, which I think they call the D23 Arena because they're terrible at naming things. Uh, stage 28, which is like their mid-range stage. And the archive stage, which is an intimate stage where they provide um, more, uh, I guess, archival presentations about the history of the company. Um, so it's supposed to celebrate the past, present, and future of Disney. On Friday, the big sort of song and dance is they'll start with the legend ceremony where uh, many deserving people plus Christina Aguilera will be inducted as Disney uh, legends. Uh, then that afternoon, obviously for the first time is the Disney plus presentation. Uh, the next day it starts with the studios will be the big, uh, show. There's a Disney on Broadway show the after that evening, but there's all sorts of other fun stuff happening throughout the day. And then Sunday, uh, the big presentation will be from parks and resorts. There's also a celebration of Disney character voices Tarzan, uh, Disney storytelling, all sorts of other fun uh, to be had. So if you're looking for the news, Disney Plus will be the afternoon of Friday. Uh, Studios, which includes all of the studio brands. I'm a little sketchy on if Fox will be included in that, but uh, I guess we'll find out. 
and then parks and resorts will be on Sunday. What's interesting is, is if you followed our Comic-Con coverage, Marvel put all of their Phase 4 together, which included Disney Plus and their movies, whereas this obviously Disney Plus will be separated out and then the movie. So we're not quite sure what Marvel is going to be talking about, but it's a little bit of a different way of attacking it. Instead of doing it by brand, it's by uh, distribution method, for lack of a sexier way to say that. But um, and then there's other things happening like the Avatar exhibit uh, and uh, obviously the Laughing Place booth being the highlight for the show. As Boy, always. is it ever. So I'd like to go around and we don't have a massive from... queue. So that's a plus. Well, yeah. And you don't need to like make a reservation. So I, I don't I don't want to talk not about... accepted at the Laughing Place booth. <laughs> I don't want to talk about like expo operations and all that because I think that's just I mean, we'll see what happens. But um, I do want to hear the one thing forgetting that you're working like or what you've been saying, but pretend you were there as a guest, <laughs> you know, and not doing laughing place stuff. What would be the one thing that you're most excited about, Alex? Uh, well, I'm really excited for the Simpsons as a huge Simpsons fan. Uh, the fact that Simpsons is coming to the D23 Expo, I really wish it wasn't at the same time as the big movies presentation because as the movie writer, that's where I'll be. Um, but uh, the other the other thing though, if I had to pick something that's actually Disney IP branding would really just be the Disney plus showcase and, and their, their booth on the show floor. Um, and I'll be going to both and, and spending a significant amount of time at their booth because they're doing presentations, um, small mini presentations on the show floor uh, for pretty much all of their, their shows and movies, which is exciting. Kyle. I mean, I think it always is the parks presentation for me. Although I feel like this year it's more about not looking forward to what they're going to announce, but hoping for things that they uh, don't announce. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that... What that do you panel, want them to not announce? <laughs> things that Disney's already technically refuted, but left enough of an opening that they didn't actually refute. Um, are you talking about like a... like? tiki room being saved or country bridge jamboree uh mostly tiki room like i think that that denial that they gave didn't actually address what the rumor was and not that i'm opposed to what would happen like i, I don't know on the sir i'm not materially against the idea of changing it because it can't be worse than under new management it's more just like i i, I would feel bad the way that they went and it went against that rumor so aggressively and then did the thing they were going to do anyway you know it would just are leave you a bad taste saying are you implying that there's a like a sect of disney fandom that didn't love under new management <laughs> yes and his name is cal burbank no that was seriously <laughs> like i i like most attractions that people don't and that one lives up to the hype of awful but the the birds could hip hop and rap and rock and roll just like Will Smith's genie. I only saw it once, actually. But I'm just, that, that I'm, I'm joking. It, it is universally hated. Um, in case anybody didn't catch that. And my favorite thing about Will Smith's version of Friend Like Me and in, in the new Aladdin, 
um at one point he he like breaks it down he's like i'm the genie of the lamp i can sing rap dance and and when he does that it's totally iago going can you sing rap dance it's terrible you know what's better than under new management disney dance crew um you know what's better than under new management stitches supersonic celebration which i never saw but i just presume because <laughs> it went like two weeks because you had to go quick if you wanted to see that one. You had to, no, limited you had time to plan magic. your trip the minute it was announced. That one was, like, announced, and then it was, like, just there. Like, it was, like, the day they announced it was the day it premiered, right? Something like that, and then it closed it was a, really quick. And then it closed, like, before you would have had time to, like, book your travel. Um, Fanboy, what are you most excited about? Do you know, do you know what was more exciting than um, both of those? What? SantaCon. And uh, by popular demand, what, <laughs> I want to know the I want to know the story because I wasn't part of LP back then. I mean, I know the story about Santa Kong, the Universal um, Holiday magical overlay, uh, very similar to uh, it's a small world holiday, haunted oh, mansion. I wouldn't holiday, say that. <laughs> or Country Bear, um, Christmas hoedown. What was that called? Um, but what? Uh, what happened to that video? So apparently there was a video and then it, it disappeared. Was that on like an old you laughing place YouTube or? Yeah, I don't think it was on YouTube. It wasn't YouTube. I it think was it a was flash video. Site. Yeah, that's why. A flash video that was embedded on the site and that old version of the site no longer exists, right? It's I think it's more like flash effect. doesn't exist. Yeah, that's. Well, so somebody was a, was um, requested it and now it's on our YouTube. Right. So the newest video, as we record this on our YouTube channel, is uh, 15 years old. 15 year old? Okay. Yeah. Is it full screen? Did we up convert? Is it is it like up converted into 4K? I think it's like it's like four by three. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, it's one of those where when you load it, it changes the size of your YouTube screen. Oh. (laughs) But worth it. Well, I can't wait to go check it out. Now, was it like nobody else had this on, on the record on YouTube, and and it's that rare? I guess not. I could we couldn't find it. Wow. And it didn't last. You know, it wasn't like a perennial thing. It lasted, you know, one season. And then it burned down. Yeah, and then it burned down, and it didn't. It actually like they didn't run, even before it burned down. They realized it was not the best idea. And if uh, if our listeners want to recreate the kind of smell-o-vision aspect, um, they should Bana- uh, peppermint pop on a, a candy cane. Yeah, and if you can't understand what King Kong is saying, it's ho, ho, ho. Awesome. So the shakiness of the video is not because like we had a bad camera or anything, or that there was a lot of motion. It's Rebecca was filming it and she was laughing the whole time out of the whole ridiculousness of it. Well, doesn't the tram also shake a little? No, they stopped the shaking on this. Oh. Like, they didn't do it, like, and... Because um, instead of holding the bridge, like he does in the old version of Kong, he was holding candy canes, giant candy canes. It wasn't like regular King... They, they went full bore. Like, because you know how, like, when you first... In the old Kong, you would go and they would see a video of, like, Kong attacking New York or something. You know, or, or a helicopter, and then the helicopter would crash in the building, and then you would go around the corner, and there was Kang sh- Kong uh, shaking the bridge. Well, so in this version, you would go and see the TV, but instead of showing a news report, it showed um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, 
and the helicopter just stood there like it didn't crash or anything. It was not threatening. It was just and then you would go around and instead of spelling banana, you would smell peppermint and he would go ho ho ho. I think you can all see why this was worth digging up and preserving. This was also the, this is also the same year as uh, the they tried a Christmas parade. I think they brought it back since, but it was a one year Christmas parade where one of the performers looked at Doobie's face and said, "What? You were expecting something more?" And it was like one of the Marx Brothers, right? Yeah, it was uh, Chico. So it was a good year. It was a different time. Um, the pre-Potter days. I am most excited about Disney Plus. So the parks, I know we're going to get more info about Epcot. And parks last time was actually the one division that, like, surprised us, right? I mean, the studios, they brought out stars we might not have expected, show clips we might not have expected, but they didn't announce any movies. Whereas parks, like, I, they announced Pixar Pier, which I don't think people were expecting. They announced a the theater of <laughs> No, Magic nobody Kingdom was expecting was... Pixar Pier. That's very true. <laughs> and... They don't expect the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> And what else did they announce? Uh, they, uh, well, they, they announced Great Movie was Ride was closing like two weeks later. Yeah, Runaway Railway, Guardians, which I think we kind of knew about, but I didn't think we knew it was going to start that fast. So you get some surprises. But for Disney Plus, like it just, this is the Disney Plus Expo. I mean, this is the... It's we're, the Plus Bow. Right. We're, we're two months away from the launch of this dang thing. And, uh, and we're going to get to sign up. I know. I hope the line's not too long. On the show floor. I hope it's something where it's like, here, scan this QR code and sign up on your phone, but you have to be here to scan it. Yeah, you, you have more confidence in their abilities than I do. Oh, I, I would wait in line. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I hope we don't both wait in line because that'd be stupid. Um, yeah, how's that? Are we going to have like a family account? Well, we're not going to pass. I want the- I want the clout and prestige of saying I'm a, D- a Disney Plus subscriber. Fair enough. Um, so clout. You too can have $7 a month. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about. You know, the, I, the scheduling, the, the other panels to me are not as super exciting as they used to be. I don't know if it's just I'm getting older and careless or if there's an actual programs change. I have shift. a... I feel like it's programs change. I mean, I mean, I'm no spring chicken and this is my, how many expos have there been? Five. Have there only been five? This is my fifth expo. And, but no, I, I swear the, the content is less, there's less of it, I feel, and it's less diverse despite having despite Disney having more things. Yeah, and I think it's... I think it's probably because there's more to talk about that the... You're not getting as deep dives into stuff. Like, Simpsons is great. It's there. But you're you're sacrificing something truly special. You know, there's no filler anymore. And sometimes the filler was the best part. Every presentation has a reason to exist, a business reason to exist, which is fine. I mean, we're, I don't think we're complaining about the program at the expo. We're just it's just evolved and to yeah. where it's it's not as um, granular as it used to be. 
obviously there's you know they're bigger theaters so the load times are longer so you don't have as many things per day per theater i mean which is you know i'll take that trade off i'll take more people getting to see everything i mean the first expo was a mess because they had really small theaters and they put amazing things in there whereas i think they've kind of learned their lesson a bit but in it in it I, I mean, to me, the most exciting venue is the Dis- they have some really cool sounding stuff at the Disney Plus booth, which I, I really... hope is which I hope is big enough to handle. Oh my! It, but... Yes, yeah, because last expo, last expo, the um, Disney Animation has like the tiniest little. They have like a, a eighty inch widescreen TV screen, and then like an artist will stand to the side and just give presentations all day, and they had like two little rows of benches. And then some standing room. But if the standing room got into the aisle, then they would like have somebody directing people away, saying, "Sorry, you can't, you can't stand here, you can't watch this." Um, so I really hope they have an adequate amount of space at the Disney Plus booth for people to to come and stand and uh, see the content because they've got some like big names coming to that booth too. You know, it's like not, who? Um, well, gosh, let me pull up. In the app, is there a way to filter it by venue? Uh, you can on laughingplace.com, I believe. <laughs> I never go to there. <laughs> Let me. Um, I mean, Yardley Smith from Simpsons. Like, I am, I am attending his for personal reasons in addition to Laughing Place because I don't get to go to the big Simpsons panel since I'm doing the movies, and I feel like a lot of the the Disney Simpsons fans are going to do the same thing. And to be clear, Yardley Smith is a woman. Yardley Smith is Bart? No, uh, Lisa. Maggie? Or Lisa. Lisa. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, she's Maggie. She's (laughs) Um, That's what I meant. But I remember her from, like, the Tracy Ullman show as a kid. That is correct. Well, you've watched interesting programs as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I really had no filter. Uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios of Eric Goldberg and Mark Henn. Jeff Goldblum, Q&A. Phineas Jeff and Goldblum. Like, think of the crowd that's going to draw. Uh, and they have it at this little teeny tiny, well, I, what I presume is a little teeny tiny show floor thing. That's going to be chaotic. You see what I did there? Uh-huh. Um, Face and Ferb. Stargirl Performance. Marvel's Heroes Project. Forky Asks a Question. Secret Society of Second Born Royals. That's going to be real popular because that's the Disney Channel. Like, those are the stars of Andy Mack, which just ended. And in this this Disney Plus film, on um, what I, what I, well, I don't want, I'm going to stop assuming that this is a teeny tiny stage, but I just imagine that it's going to get overcrowded and they're going to have an issue. Um, VR Chef Games with Angela Kinsey. Monsters at Work Behind the Scenes, Imagineering Story of Leslie Iwerks and Bob Weiss, Short Circuit Creative Panel, Pixar Spark Shorts, and uh, ESPN DJ. Well, you never know because, like, that Short Circuit Creative Panel following the, like, other presentations, like the big Disney Plus one, like, people might walk away really excited for the Short Circuit Shorts and want to be there for that. I mean, but I think think in particular – uh, the Simpsons one, Second Born Royals, and Jeff Goldblum and Forky are going to get a little out of hand. I'm most excited for Dr. Paul, who is bringing puppies from National Geographic. And uh, Star Girl, depending on if the star is there or not, might also be in high demand with kind of the younger crowd. So I have a question for you. So this expo is coming at a very 
odd time for Disney. So let's, I mean, unlike other expos, this is the ex- where it just kind of happens. This one's happening as Disney's trying to ingest 21st Century Fox, getting ready to launch Disney Plus and change their whole thing. This first give us our parks vision post Galaxy's Edge, um, you know, which kind of has taken up the oxygen for the last two expos. So, do you think your understanding of where Disney is going will change after this expo, or do you think you're going to get exactly, you know, what you think you're going to get? Well, I mean, I don't think you can ever really predict where Disney is going. I sort of expect, knowing that Bob Iger, uh, how much time does Bob Iger say he has left now? I stopped caring. Okay. Well, I mean, I know it. I don't believe him anymore. I I also don't believe him anymore. But I'm starting to get the feeling like this time he means it. Um, And if that's the case, I don't expect any big acquisitions for a while. And in fact, like, I think the Fox purchase was such a big purchase and they're still trying to figure everything out. I think it will be a while before Disney acquires anything big again. Um, okay, so they they have announced that, well, Bob Iger has said they are not going to announce that they have no interest in a large acquisition. Right. Um, and I, I don't, I can't, can't even imagine what that would be at this point. So yeah, I agree with you. I don't expect us to be getting an announcement of something like that or even that happening post expo. But I think galaxy's edge was such a big deal. Now, I mean, we can, I don't want to get in the narrative of it's a failure cause that's ridiculous, but from parks perspective, I don't think we really know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we, we were supposed to get information about Epcot you know, Disneyland has what you know one Marvel ride we know of, and Runaway Railway. But I don't think we have an understanding of the long-term vision of that. Star Wars, we know what's happening with, you know, we know that the Last Jedi is happening, but we don't know. I'm sorry, Rise of Skywalker is happening, but we don't know what's happening after that. Phase Four, we got a sketch just at Comic Con, but there's also big things happening with supposedly of with mutants and the fantastic four and black Panther sequels, which we have no information of as of yet. Uh, yeah, we did Disney. If you read, we got this covered, you know, all about it. I, I, I would not recommend anyone read. We've got that. Co- we've got this covered. Um, we don't know what's happening. We don't really have a lot of insight into Disney movies post Mulan. Uh, and, um, and animation, Disney animation, all we know about is Frozen 2. Pixar, we know about Soul and uh, Onward, which are all next year. We don't know anything after that. I just feel that this year was the, this is just the year of endings. We have The Last Jedi. I'm sorry, I keep calling it The Last Jedi <laughs> because that's the last movie. So um, Rise, Rise of Skywalker. Skywalker. We've had Avengers Endgame, which you know, obviously ended that. And so I just feel like this is the Disney's chance to say, yeah, yeah this was a big year. Galaxy's Edge, Endgame, Rise of Skywalker. Now let's get excited for the next Disney decade. And, you know, it's no secret 
that particularly in the parks division, they like holding their announcements to things like this. Um, so, and I, I'm, I, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously debate and discuss what they announce, but to me, this from a announcement perspective, this is the most exciting expo that I've had leading up to it because I feel like there's something to say. There's a vision to pitch, obviously Disney plus, you know, they did their sexy financial rollout in April and everyone was like, here, take my money. But, you know, we might get some more surprises that, you know, we, if you look at the number of shows and films that they're going to produce, that they said they're going to produce, and you look at what they've announced, there's a big delta there that I think we're going to get a little bit more color of at Expo. So I, I think, as I said, I don't want to talk about the guest experience because I think that's pointless, but I think if you're looking at, will we have something to talk about on Monday? I think we will. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not as optimistic though that they're going to make so many announcements, mainly because the movie presentation. This is the first year where they've combined live action and animation together. So, how much time can you actually spend hyping up both what's coming and what is in development um in in what is what is the length of that two hours two hours two hours and in the past these have been two hour presentations too right i think they were a little bit i think they were an hour and a half i think but they parks, always went over parks well parks was an hour and i think studios was part an hour and a half and and studios definitely has always gone like 20 to 30 minutes over on both live action and animation um, and but, parks, but, I feel like last time came under. Like I feel like parks let out like twenty minutes early. Parks usually ends under because they don't, you know, they just there's they just sort of show a video. There's no celebrities coming out. But like, I looked you know at, how long that video takes. So why isn't like why is it uh, short? Well, because I, I mean they announced the times long before they know what they're gonna say. Okay. I you know I mean then they rehearse things, they change things. I mean you want the presentation to be the length it should be. You don't want them to fit a time slot. But I look at what Marvel was able to do in 90 minutes. And they announced, yeah, and they announced, what, six Disney Plus shows and five movies or something like that. And, you know, and and not just a, here it is, done, done. I mean, with the exception of Blade, which was quick, you know, they they had a star come out, talk about the movie. They didn't show clips because there was nothing to show, but... They crammed a lot, and they did. It. The pacing was good, and yeah. God bless John Lasseter, whatever you think of him. But you know, he was the one that kind of rambled on, and you know, in the end, you go like, "What did you talk about?" And there's a whole lot of nothing. Bless his heart. Yeah. Another Cars tune. <laughs> that was our running joke back when I was <laughs> on the Disneyland Goes that whatever year that was, where he just kept showing Cars tunes. And now. A cartoon where Mater is a pro wrestler. Do you do you remember cooking Rizzuto? Yes, that was a Expo Year One kind of thing. Right. So Dick Cook, who was chairman of the Walt Disney Studios at the time, and for like a week after the Expo, um, came out and did this whole song and dance. There was a full orchestra. Well, he started like he was the he was the reason that after the first Expo, the movie presentation was like the must see. Right. And at that time, animation was – they didn't separate animation and live action yet. 
That's and it was right. just this like extravaganza that blowing people's mind. Johnny Depp coming out in a in full Jack Sparrow regalia. Um, Miley That's Cyrus that. singing a song. Snow. Uh, the whole mop, Muppet. like the, like every Muppet you could dream of on stage. Just this whole thing. And then, so we're like, wow, that was amazing. Then Jay Rizzuto comes out and I think uh, talked about New Fantasyland, which ended up not being what he said, for better or for worse. And then showed some, um, like, 3D, they gave us 3D glasses, showed us some things from the new Star Tours back when that was the new thing. And that was basically it. And it ended like 20 minutes early and it was like, so it ended up being like a 40 but, minute presentation. But also the energy level, like right. Dick Cook's energy level was um, like Tony Wonder from Heavyweights, just like so excited about everything he was showing you, even when it was something like G-Force. And, um, Isn't and then Tony Wonder a rest of development? Oh, it's, oh yes. You know what? It's the same actor. It's Ben though. Stiller. <laughs> it's Ben Stiller. Um, Tony Perkins in Heavyweights, or Tony Wonder uh, is accurate as well from Rose to Development, a Fox TV show that Disney now owns. So uh, D- Disney legend Ben Stiller uh, certainly done more for the company than Christina Aguilera. And um, But but then Jay Rasulo comes out and he's like, I run Disney Parks and Resorts, and uh, we're adding princess meet and greets to Fantasyland, and uh, here's some 3D glasses. And this is the new Star Tours. And so we just started referring to everything that was as as cool as it could be from the expo as cook and anything that was really lackluster or underwhelming as Rizzulo. And shockingly, Rizzulo outlasted cook. Speaking of that, though, I actually was putting together a list of some of the canceled announcements that have happened at D23 over the years. And a lot of them actually happened Disney during Double the Dare Dick. You. Yep, that's that, that was that's Disney. literally the first one on my list is Disney Double Dare You, cheapest Muppet movie ever made. Uh, Main well, that Street. Happened, it just was like there it wasn't was that script movie. though. No, it wasn't that script nor that title, uh, and even that title got changed. Yeah, uh, the Main Street Dang. Theater. Uh, that's more recent. Pixie Hollow at Walt Disney World. Um, Gigantic <laughs> is a big one. Uh, oh, yeah. Robert Zemeckis directing Yellow Submarine remake. Oh wow, I forgot about that. Wild that Hogs was gonna be two. Um... That outer space movie. Which one was that? The Disney Toon Studios movie. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It was the... gonna be like from the world of planes, which is also the world of cars. That's also on my list because they brought out the cast of Planes, which was John John Cryer as Dusty. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a Muppets Halloween TV special and the Muppets Whatnot workshop coming to Disney Parks never happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some of the fun. Oh, and That's right, Trevor be like build directing a, episode build nine. a lightsaber, but for Muppets. I think the price point for that was going to be outrageous, and they did kind of try it through. Um, was it F.A.O. Schwartz? Yeah. Yeah, and they did F.A.O. Schwartz. It closed F.A.O. Schwartz. So <laughs> I think they were like, eh, we'll, we'll skip that. You got to find time for that article. That's a good article. Yeah, I'll have to add the one that you were saying. Some sort yeah, of Disney after, Tune Studio one. Yeah, it's, I, it's the Disney Tune Studio. I wasn't, I wasn't at the presentation, but Alex can probably clue you into Outer what space. that was. Or if you look up his article, I'll be there. Um, yeah. So... I think what we should we should go through every announcement at the end of this expo, or as 
depending on how often we can record, and just go through the list and say Cooker Rizzuto. That was like an sure. homage. Yes, I concur. The one thing that looks like it's going to be announced at the expo is an upcoming Disney Plus series. Yeah. Do you do you know the one I'm talking about? I assume it's the the article you didn't write in favor of the one we already knew about. Is yeah, it the could... one with with Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Which, which, which I didn't write because I was really hoping Mike C was going to write it because he's our Star Wars guy. But um, Ewan McGregor. Um, uh, so yeah, so it looks like we might be in an Obi Wan Kenobi Disney Plus series. Because all all the trades are reporting it, and when it's in the trades, it can't be wrong. Well, they're in, they're in talks at the moment, but it's looking pretty good because Ewan has the high ground. Ooh! Oh, I see what you and did. That's there. all you need in battle. Actually, will he be perform? Will he be he be Obi Wan Kenobi, or will he be performing as old Ben Kenobi? I have a like Jedi magic medium rules. aged Kenobi, Ben Kenobi. I have a question about the rules of being a Jedi. Sure. If you can lift a ship out of a swamp, what's to stop you from lifting a Jedi who has the high ground and resting them on lower ground? I'm guessing that if you're a Jedi, you sort of have the powers to not have that happen to you from another Jedi. But the Jedi don't have the powers to not have another Jedi stab them with a light sword. A light sword. I'm just being. That's what that's what they called it in in production before the before, before they the, realized I was stupid. Yeah, um, like the guy who designed the lightsabers. If you watch the bonus feature on the digital collection, it's one of the archives bonus features. But he brings out like the original mock um, lightsaber, and he says, "When we created this, we were calling them light swords." So in any case, follow us along all weekend long for the uh, for the excuse me, for the D twenty three Expo twenty nineteen, powered by Mouse Fan Travel. Plug all of our handles. At laughing underscore place on Twitter at laughingplace dot com on the internet at youtube dot com slash laughingplace on the YouTube's. Facebook dot com slash. I don't know. I think Instagram is also laughing underscore place. Ah, Pinterest at we don't have. We we uh, do, but we just don't use it. And uh, at TikTok at... Anyway, um, we're going to segue a little bit. Alex had a chance to do an interview with someone. Seems kind of fun. So we're going to let him introduce the interview. And then we'll be back after that's over. Yeah, this was a, a really lovely lady by the name of Juliana Hans- Hansen. And uh, mm, if you... Bop, 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 bop. Sorry. I was going to let you finish. Um, and she has a lot of Disney credits. Most recently, if you saw Toy Story 4, she was the voice of Miss Wendy, who is Bonnie's uh, kindergarten teacher. She kind of leads to the creation of Forky in a, in a roundabout way. Um, but she's been in the business uh, quite a long time. Fans of, uh, I guess, Disneyland. You may have seen her because she has done some in-park performing. If you're a Disney music fan and you've collected the Walt Disney uh, Legacy Collection soundtrack releases with the Lost Chords, she is the uh, female vocalist on a lot of those tracks, particularly ones with Richard Sherman. She has performed with many Disney luminaries and 
my jaw continuously dropped on the floor during our interview. Uh, normally, these interviews, we just do an article based on them, but I thought she was so interesting for the Disney fan community that I really wanted to share this with you. I do want to apologize a little bit for the audio quality. It's not tremendous, but uh, it's the best I could do. And you will also hear my dogs at several times because they were um, just getting antsy because the interview went on fairly long. But I really hope you enjoy it and we'll be back in just a moment. What initially caught the acting bug for you? When did that happen? And and, uh, what was that journey like? Sure, that's a great question. Um, I I grew up in a house with um, creative people. My mom was a dance teacher. Um, I did not get the dancing gene. Um, my dad was a musician, and uh, that's how he made his living for like over 25 years. He and his brother had a band, um, and that kind of was how I got interested in performing and singing. I'd go to the dance studio with my mom, and I would hear my dad and his brother and his bandmates kind of playing through songs and set lists and I learned how to sing harmony at a really young age. And then when I was um, about four years old, my sister, who's 10 years older than me, decided that she wanted to do modeling. And so my parents sent her to this school and she kind of went through all these classes. And then there was this big open call for an agent um, in San Francisco where a bunch of agencies would show up and a bunch of you know, young people would come and meet with everybody all at once and kind of essentially audition for a placement at an agency. And my sister went and she came out of the room and said to my mom, like, I'm so sorry, but I don't think I want to do this. She didn't like being the center of attention. She didn't like the spotlight. She didn't like them asking her things. And uh, I said, I want to go. And so my mom sent me in. And um, I remember that they asked me to sing a song and they said, would you like to sing Happy Birthday? And I said, no, I don't think I like that song. I'd like to sing. And I sang something I, along the lines of, like, You Made Me Love You by Judy Garland or, like, Sing With the Strings of My Heart or something very obscure. I just remember them being like, wow, how do you know that song? And uh, they hired, they of all the agencies that were there, they um, chose to work with only two kids at that particular casting, and I was one of them. So I landed an agent and just started kind of going from there. I mean, I also grew up watching all the old um, Disney movie musicals and um, like Mary Poppins and Summer Magic. Summer Magic was like my all-time favorite movie as a child. Um, I also loved Pollyanna and uh, I was obsessed with Annie. Um, And from there I did my first musical and I did a lot of modeling and Um, When I was seven, my parents decided that I should really be in L.A. if I wanted to really give the career thing a shot. So we came down here, and I started doing commercials and voice work, and that's when I first worked for Disney. Um, I did commercials for them, and I did a voiceover project with Tom Bosley. So that's kind of the the short story of how I got into it all. (laughs) And you mentioned Summer Magic. Um, and and I, I saw in your bio that you've worked quite a bit with um, Richard Sherman, including bringing to life some of the um, lost chords for the Legacy Collection album releases. Um, when you when you were young, did you know who he was or were you familiar? Were you aware that he wrote the songs that you loved so much from Summer Magic and Mary Poppins? Um, I was aware of the 
don't think I was aware of who Richard was until I was in high school and really started to pay attention to um, the behind the scenes part of, of musicals and Disney movies. Um, as a kid, I mostly was focused on the performers in the movies. So I knew Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke, but I guess it didn't even really occur to me to like ask who wrote the songs. I just sort of must have thought that Julie made them up. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I was familiar with his work, and I could probably have sung you every word to a good number of songs that the Sherman Brothers wrote, but I didn't actually hear the name Richard Sherman or, or have him on my radar until a little later when I was going to school and like really ingrained in musical theater as a career choice and a perspective like you know kind of pathway for my life <laughs> so that's kind of but I knew Haley Mills I knew Deborah Wally I knew Burl Ives um I was really really focused on the the performers because that's what I wanted to do very cool. They always say, you know, don't meet your heroes. But um, from everyone I know who've, who's worked with Richard Sherman, he's kind of the opposite of, of that. He's, he's exactly what you expect. Did you find him to be kind of the same type of person you, you envisioned him to be from interviews? Um, yeah. I, I didn't ever really, um, again, like I, I wasn't reading interviews about him. I was more performer-centric. I, When I was told I was going to be performing for him for the very first time, of course I, I was nervous and I thought, oh gosh, you know, I want to make a good impression. But I never thought, is he going to be nice? You know, as, you know, what kind of person is he? It was more of a, oh my God, I hope I, I do his songs justice. Um, so the fact that he's like the loveliest person in the industry uh, was a total bonus for me getting to just meet the man who'd written sort of the soundtrack to my life. Um, so I, I had no expectations going into it. I just had the pressure, self-inflicted pressure, of, of wanting to please him and, and do a good job. Um, but, I mean, he, as far as meeting your heroes is concerned, he is just one of the kindest, most humble um people I've ever worked with and she also has something that I think a lot of people probably start out with but end up kind of losing along the way and that is that he still has so much joy and passion in what he does there it hasn't been lost none of it's been lost which is amazing and it's so refreshing because you know people way younger than him even my own peers sometimes really you know so if the love of it gets beaten out of them, but Richard, I mean, he'll sit down unsolicited and play anything, and he just loves it. He loves telling his story, and he loves sharing his gifts, and that's that's such a cool example to me. That's been something that I've really um, tried to keep at the forefront of my mind for all of my gigs, um, even my less fun gigs, like waiting tables at a singing restaurant. <laughs> um, you know, I think... Richard's such a beautiful example of truly loving what you do and just being able to share that with other people, you know, brings him so much joy. So he's a great example. Yeah. And, and you've had quite a lot of um, Disney stops along your career. Growing up, how big yeah. of a role did Disney play in, in like your interests or your tastes or your life? 
it was massive growing up. I mean, it was really Dis- every animated Disney film that would come out, and then like I went through periods of loving the Phantom of the Opera and Les Miserables, and you know Miss Saigon, like the mega musicals of the like nineties. <laughs> um, that was the majority of what I focused on and loved and was excited about in my life growing up. Um, Disney movies in particular, I remember, you know, I remember I think it was Aladdin, like being old enough to really read the lyrics printed on the inside of the cassette tape um, (laughs) that my mother bought me, opening up the fold-out little booklet that came with it and really memorizing, like, you know, I think that was also one of the first times I put a composer to a song in my brain, you know, thinking, oh, uh, Alan Menken wrote this. Okay, Alan Menken, I want to work with him. Uh, Leia Salonga, who's she? Brad Kane, cool. Like, I'm really starting to obsess over the people that were creating the content. Um, but Disney played a huge role. And when I moved down to L.A. and actually started working as a professional in voice work and radio jingles and TV commercials, I actually had a couple opportunities to work for Disney, um, one of which was I went into the studio in an ensemble, like, singing session for Pocahontas um, with Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz, and I totally remember Stephen Schwartz in his, like, giant cowboy hat kind of helping lead the session, Um, and I have actually sitting on my coffee table because I want to take it to be framed, but I have original sheet music from that session signed by the two of them. And uh, I remember after our session, Judy Kuhn arrived, and I stayed to like kind of listen to her through the door um, record Colors of the Wind. So a huge impression on my life and huge, you know, role models for me, her and Jody Benson and Paige O'Hara. And I mean, I, I ate up every single word of every song and every you know, person's name involved with putting these these soundtracks to the animated features together. And I just, I, that was all I wanted to do at one point in my life. That was, that was my highest goal. <laughs> and it still is one of my highest goals. I want to be a princess in a Disney movie. <laughs> so I'm getting closer. I was a teacher in a Pixar movie. Um, but yeah, big, big influence for me. Now, how did... How did the um how did the audition process or the casting process how did that work for Toy Story Four? Yeah, so I kind of auditioned in ways that I didn't even know I was auditioning um, over several years, and then ended up getting a direct offer. Um, I did not specifically audition for Miss Wendy. I performed with Richard at the Walt Disney Family Museum. And I met Jonas Rivera and Pete Docker there, and it was right around the time that they were winning their Oscar for Inside Out. And I spoke with them both pretty extensively at the end of the night, and they were very complimentary about my singing and my, you know, my performance with Richard. Jody Benson also performed that evening. The Dapper Dams at Disneyland performed that evening. It was a really awesome group of people and a really fun event. But um, so from there, I went back to LA and wrote little notes out to Pete and Jonas just saying I, you know, enjoyed meeting them and thanking them for their kind words about my performance, and I sent them each a copy of the photo that I'd taken with them, 
and uh, never really heard anything back. And then Inside Out happened, they won their Oscar, and I sent them another note, and I said, I'm just jumping up and down in my living room, I'm so excited for you guys, well-deserved, and I actually heard back. Um, and that started sort of a little back and forth every so often email exchange, um, where I would be able to keep Jonas kind of updated on my progress as a voice actor. Um, I had just recorded an animation and commercial demo with Bill Farmer, the official voice of Goofy, and so I was able to tell him about that, and then I was shopping it around to some of the bigger agencies in town, and uh, when I signed with Abrams Artists, I was able to kind of send a note and say, guess what, today I signed with a great VO agency, and I'm super excited to be working with them, and and then I booked my first job with Disney XD, and so I got to reach out again and say, and here's a little clip from the episode, and I just kind of kept bugging them um, in a very kind of genuinely excited way, Um, not expecting anything, not, you know, not thinking that it was going to ever lead to Toy Story 4, but just to kind of have you know, have them in my corner, have people at that level who were cheerleaders for what I was doing at my level. And they were so gracious and so kind and so excited about the work I was doing and so just lovely to me throughout all of that. And then I remember one day getting an email from Jonas that said, would you please send your uh, animation voiceover reel to me? I'd like to make sure that our casting people have it because you never know. <laughs> and uh, so I did. I sent it, and that was, like, totally thrilling that he even asked for it. Um, whether or not anything ever came of it, it was just very exciting to know that somebody at Pixar was going to hear me kind of do my thing. Um, and, I, you know, Jonas and Pete are such... The cool thing about Pixar is they're such Disney fans themselves, you know? They have such a deep love for the studio and the work that the studio has done over the years. And for the old stuff as well. Like, they are so, so excited about Richard. And meeting Richard the night of the Walt Disney Family Museum event was as exciting for them as it was for me to meet the two of them, you know? Which is such a charming thing, I think, about the people that work at Pixar. Is like, there are no egos that take over and, you know, diminish anybody else's work that's come before. They are such fans first and foremost and then they are creative geniuses who are now adding to the stories that have already been told you know and so um where was I headed with that I it it just felt very very gracious of him to even ask me to send my reel um but there was also a bit of a genuine excitement in my oh god you know we met her working with Richard and she's a beautiful singer and she told us she wanted to do voiceover work and now she's doing it you're like a genuine excitement for the progress I had made that was just so kind and so cool and so rare in this industry and it wasn't until maybe a year maybe even like a year and a half after I sent my reel that I received a call from my agent who said you just got a direct offer for an animated feature film, Toy Story 4. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, so it, it seemingly came out of nowhere. 
but the foundation had been laid for quite a while and you know I, I find more and more that as you uh, as one kind of rises towards the top in the entertainment industry you find that a lot of it has to do with do people like working with you do they believe in your talent but also do they think you're a good person are you fun to be around are you trustworthy are you you know going to show up when you say you will so I think all of that came into play I think they you know they thought her voice is great for this role and this is something we can do to give her a little boost and we like her you know and I think all of that is so important in this industry in any industry in life (laughs) but um yeah so that's how that all happened very cool. And did you do your um, did you do your recording down in LA, or did they send you up to Pixar, or where where did you um, actually speak for both. your character? I had two I had two sessions. I did one in uh, Studio B on the Disney lot down here, and then about a month and a half later, um, they brought me up to Pixar. There were kind of additional lines they needed. There had been some rewriting, um, so I had a second session at Pixar, which was really, really neat. They were both neat for very different reasons, um, but getting to tour Pixar was really cool, and I got to meet the head animators for Buzz and Woody, and um, just kind of get a real great idea of like what they do there and how it all kind of comes together. I also got to see a private screening of the short film Bow, which was really exciting, and then to see that win the Oscar was What's the coolest thing that you saw or that really stood out to you that like really wowed you when you were at Pixar? to learn how to do that themselves in their own bodies 
and then how does that translate to to what they're putting on the screen and I was just floored by that it was so smart and so much more encompassing than I had ever really thought about when it came to animation um so I really enjoyed that and when you were at um Walt Disney Studios in Burbank did you ever like get the feeling like you're on hallowed ground? I mean, you're in the place where Summer Magic was filmed and Mary Poppins. Yes. Um, yes. Did you feel that weight on your shoulders when you went in for those sessions? I didn't feel a weight. I just felt completely elated. I was just so, I was hyper aware of that, but I was also just so excited to be a part of it, to be like joining history. <laughs> um, I never felt a or, you know, like like there was pressure to perform a certain way. We just had a good time and played, and, you know, it was very in the moment. I just listened to what they said they needed and did my best to give it to them and, and was open, open-hearted and kind of flexible and, you know, just had fun. I, I was very much aware of the, the past that was all around us, um, and also, uh, when I left, I passed um, Dopey Drive, which Richard has, in his uh, recent years, written a song called Dopey Drive and Mickey Avenue, which is the intersection that occurs at the studio. Um, and it's a beautiful song about what it was like to work there with Walt back in the day. And so to see that sign was like such a thrill for me. I took a picture under it. Um, <laughs> I think his I think his office is the top floor of the corner of that old animation building, which is at that intersection to add like a little more of significance to it. I'm pretty sure that's um, his corner. I have been to Walt's office now. That's the animation building. We did not record in the animation building. We recorded on the other lot um, in Studio B. So we recorded, let's see, on the, the Disney lot that is kind of opposite the hospital. With the ABC um, and Disney Animation buildings? No, that one's, that's a little different. Okay. There's, there's another building that was, um, and they're kind of on the same street, but they're sort of across the street from each other. Um, I've been into Walt's office before. I actually had a really cool experience um, with Haley Mills and Richard um, getting to tour Walt's office. And Richard sat down and played some songs. He played Feet the Birds, and he and Haley did a duet of Let's Get Together, and that was, like, super magical. But this was on a completely different lot um, where they have a lot of different sound stages and recording studios. Um, yeah, so I'm not exactly sure what the difference is in today's, like, world, what they're each used for today, but, yeah, we weren't... Weren't in the place where off, uh, Walt's office is. Well, um, I know we're half a block down. <laughs> I know we're on the phone, uh, but my jaw dropped when you said Haley Mills. Now knowing that Summer Magic was like part of your gateway drug, um, yes. Did did you just like totally fangirl out? How did you compose yourself, being in oh the presence God. of of someone so iconic? I'm pretty good at composing myself, but I 
about the minute I dropped her off. Um, so here's the story. I was producing an event. Uh, I produced it three years in a row at the Pasadena Playhouse called One Starry Night, an old-time variety show. Like, if you think of Ed Sullivan, we had all kinds of acts, magicians and comedians and dancers and Broadway performers and pop stars and a bunch of different acts. And we were raising money for the ALS Association. And in the third year, um, we thought, wouldn't it be fun? Because Richard had participated a couple years prior. We thought, wouldn't it be fun to bring Richard back and get Haley Mills to fly out and be a part of it? And maybe they could do something together and we could reunite them. And that would be really, really special. So it was a bit of a long shot, but I somehow obtained Haley's email address and reached out to her. And she responded about a week later and was getting like a little close to like crunch time. And uh, she said if the offer still stood, she would love to come out and be a part of it. And all we had to do was fly her first class from the UK. Um, you know, nobody, everybody just donated their time, which was lovely because we didn't have a lot of money to play with. Um, and we were hiring like, you know, full orchestra to be on stage with our performers. And, um, anyway, so I got to pick her up from the airport, drive her to her hotel, take her from the hotel to the venue the next day for rehearsal. Um, and I completely geeked out after she left my car. So I was very composed and kind of had the face of the event on the whole time that <laughs> she was with me. And then, you know, as soon as she got out of the car, I called somebody and kind of freaked out on the phone and just talked about what a great experience it was to meet my childhood hero. Cause she really was, I think, probably my number one, like, childhood hero, her and Jodie Benson. Um, and so to spend time with her was lovely. And I remember when I picked her up, the first thing she said to me was, you're just a girl. And she was, like, amazed that I wasn't, like, you know, her age or something. I was like, I am, but I grew up watching your movies. Um, and we've become friends when she's in town now. We see each other. And um, I took her and her partner to Magic Castle. And we keep in touch from time to time via email. I was in New York about a year ago, and, or maybe a little longer now. She was doing a play while I was there. And uh, she got me tickets to come and see her show. And uh, so, yeah, it's turned into, like, a really cool friendship. Um, but, my God. <laughs> like, yeah, total fangirls out, but, like, never in front of her. <laughs> so you're, you're friends with Richard Sherman. You're friends with Haley Mills. You mentioned Jodie Benson. And, and since there's a pattern here, I just have to know, are you friends, too, with Jodie Benson? <laughs> I am not friends with Jodie. Um, at the same event that I met um, Jonas and Pete at, um, I actually stayed at the hotel, and the car picked us up together and took us to the venue, and we got invited to Ron Miller's house for dinner with Richard and Elizabeth and Don Hahn, and that was very exciting. So I, I sat next to Jody in a car, heading to perform in the same show as her, of course spoke to her but um we are not we're not friends we're not in touch to this day i am just 
a super fan and continue to be. I remember sitting in the back seat of the car with her just thinking, I'm sitting next to Ariel, I'm sitting next to Ariel, oh my god. Like, just flipping out over that. Um, but yeah, no, we've, we've had a, a little chat, but we are not, we're not buddies. <laughs> Aw, okay. Well, you got yeah. to you got to meet her, and she was lovely, and and that's yes, that's yes. good. I got a photo, and I got to meet her. And, you know, I could say I performed the same show, so that's kind of cool. Great. <laughs> um, and and yeah. before we wrap it up, I know you've spent some time at the happiest place on earth. I know you mentioned Aladdin being a source of inspiration. I believe you even got to perform um, in that show at California Adventure. Also, Pocahontas is part of your journey, and you've kind of reprised that. Can you talk a little bit about Um, being a performer at the Happiest Place on Earth? Absolutely. So, um, in 2013, I was hired to play Jasmine in Aladdin, the musical spectacular at the Hyperion Theater in California Adventure. I was full-time there, so four days a week, four shows a day, for three years. Um, and that was magical. I mean, you know, getting to fly on the carpet, which we all joke is being the best ride in the park. Um, <laughs> getting to do meet and greets with, you know, special needs children and, um, you know, VIP families and stuff like that was really cool. Um, but for me, the biggest thrill uh, came getting to do Mickey and the Magical Map because I'm over on the Disneyland side. And uh, yes, I've gotten to be friends with Pocahontas, and I am a head map maker. Um, so there's a bit of full circle there, which I've never actually connected that thought before. So great job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the biggest excitement about that is that as a child going to the park with my family, like I lived shows at that theater that same stage that I'm now performing on like I was that's all I wanted to do when I'd go to the park and my dad would film the shows and I'd go back home and watch them and learn all the songs and so to now be performing on that stage has like an added layer of kind of excitement and like thrill for me and it's also really neat um to look out into the audience and see you know the kids like so excited about the show and this colored streamer shootout at the end and they run and collect as many as they can and like I was that kid collecting and saving leaves in the Spirit of Pocahontas show or you know streamers that would shoot out in other shows so that is a really neat thing and like no matter what I do in my career getting to come back to like my roots with Disney and perform that show from time to time is just always a joyful thing for me. I just love it so much. And I've had a couple of kids um, that I know, you know, through friends and stuff, say to me after the show that they want to do that when they grow up. And that's kind of a neat thing to know that we're inspiring people the way that I was so inspired on that very same stage. So, very cool. Cool. Yeah. And I have one uh, kind of final question. It's kind of a hypothetical, knowing that you're a singer. If you were recording your own Disney album, I want to know what is the opening track, what is the closing track, and one track that you must have in between, like a Disney cover album.
bookend to that, the Mary Poppins stuff, maybe I'd open with a Spoonful of Sugar. I love that song, and I love the um, kind of philosophy behind it. <laughs> um, and since Richard is so important in my life, I feel like not only does that song kind of embody my outlook on life, but, um, you know, it, it ties in my special connection with Richard. Um, so those for sure, I would love to include, I mean, one of the things that I did with Walt Disney Records, The Lost Chords, um, I did a lot of tracks for Cinderella that never made it into the movie, um, so I would absolutely include one of those, maybe even do like a little mashup to tie into A Dream of Wish Your Heart Makes, because I love that song. I'm pretty old school when it comes to Disney, although I love the new stuff. I'm super passionate about the older stuff. That's great. Um, and I'd have to put in You've Got a Friend in Me. Oh, yeah. Clearly. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing all of your really cool Disney experiences. Thanks for sharing that interview with us, Alex. We're just we're a little frantic because we're getting ready for the expo. Kyle will be at the booth uh, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, uh, Something like that. And uh, Alex will be running around. If you see Mike or Jeremiah from the site, Doobie and Rebecca Mosley will be there as well as our uh, uh, junior correspondent, Gideon. And we will uh, try and keep up with everything that's going on. Um, we've actually hired more people just so we could be prepared to cover this expo. So is Gideon as old as the expo or is he older? Gideon is older than the expo. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, so in any case, uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and we'll see you on the flip side.